This is a kick in the grass with Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to another edition of A Kick in the Grass with Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair here across the Sportsnet Radio Network and on your favorite podcatcher. Uh, this week, lots coming up. We've got Gab Marcotti of ESPN FC and Kian Sproz, Canadian uh, international and playing with FC Saarbrücken, uh, who will be taking on Bayer Leverkusen in the DFB Pokal coming up on June 9th. So we're looking ahead to that. Plus the return of the Premier League, La Liga and Serie A on the horizon. Jeff, how are you? Doing well, Danny. How are you? I'm uh, I'm great, man. It's uh, it's going to be fun to have a lot more leagues coming back, and uh, we're going to get back to that point where we have uh, more football to watch than we have time. So <laughs> yeah, it's going to come fast and furious, and I think all of us are I think all of us are really just just so happy that you know the Bundesliga has kind of paved the way for everything else, and it's it's gone pretty much I think better than than a lot of us anticipated. So we're ready for it. There's no doubt. Are, are they going to start a new like Premier League fantasy season that we can just play the final, uh, you know, matches the the final month or so that we could just have a mad dash to the finish? That'd be fun. I'm quite happy where I'm sitting in that league right now. You guys can do what you want. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite pleased. I'm quite content. All right, fair enough. Uh, fair enough. It was uh, it was quite the weekend though. We saw a lot going on. Uh, Bayern Munich continued their dominance. Uh, Borussia Dortmund got back uh, into the win column as well, and really the the race for the the Champions League places is uh, going to be a lot of fun to watch uh, in, in the Bundesliga uh, over these next couple of weeks. But uh, also, you know, we saw Jaden Sancho score a hat trick, and uh, also relay a message justice for George Floyd, his teammates. Uh, Hakimi at, at Dortmund also showed that same message on his undershirt. We saw Weston McKenney with Schalke wear a armband. Of course, he of American descent. Uh, but uh, I, I really did think it was, was interesting, Jeff, um, especially coming from Sancho, who's, you know, English and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, playing in Germany and just the idea that the whole world is, is paying attention to what's going on uh, south of the border right now. Yeah, you know, I also thought Marcus Thuram taking the knee right. was hugely significant. His father, of course, has been a as a French international was long a spokesman for uh, for equal rights, and you know, really was the face in a lot of ways of of a lot of the efforts soccer made back then to to become more inclusive. This, to me is different than you know any other sort of major social event I've seen insofar as the response of sports is concerned, because you're seeing more teams, more leagues, and most importantly, I think, you're seeing more non-African American athletes step up, whether it's on social media or on, you know, whether, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, uh, comments in newspapers this seems to have this 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 murder of george floyd seems to have galvanized a lot of athletes who in the past have either been reluctant or didn't feel it was their place to comment on an issue that has really surprised me just how broad the outrage has been and quite frankly how athletes have taken a leading role in responding to it. I mean, I would like to know where Hollywood is on this. I would like to know where more musicians are on this, entertainers in general. I have been surprised and heartened by the fact that so many athletes in so many countries have taken this opportunity to say that they are not going to put up with this and that they are willing to be an ally that's something we just haven't seen before yeah and 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 they use uh that that message that platform in in a positive way and mm-hmm. you know there has been times where you know because racism in football uh has has long been an issue and it's actually uh i would say over the last actually kick it out the um the the, the program that is supposed to 
you know, try to help to eradicate these issues within the game, uh, has reported more racist incidents across football this past year than, than there was in 20, 2018. So this is a, an ongoing issue. I think it mirrors a lot of what's going on in society, especially in Europe with some of the, um, the, the choices that have been made at the, at the voting polls, but um, in, in various countries, um, Brexit, you know, things in, in Eastern Europe and, and we've seen in Italy how bad it's been with, with the racist commentary there. Um, this has become more of an issue. And this time we haven't seen uh, athletes back down from that. And we've seen more and more of them, uh, push out against it and continue to do that. And um, I think, you know, sp- spreading that message is, is huge. And, and you're right. It, it uh, doesn't need to come just from from uh, players of African descent or, or players of color. Um, if, if it comes from anywhere, it's, it's doing the message good. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. Um, but it's definitely not going away anytime soon. Hopefully, uh, everybody listening out there is staying safe uh, during these uh, interesting times right now. Um, on the field, though, Jeff, it's just another week at the office for Bayern Munich. And mm. I, I know the, the golf in class uh, between them and their opponents is is quite large on a lot of days. Um, but they were mesmerizing in their win over the weekend. And now a total of 86 goals, a record 86 goals across 29 matches. Um, but, you know, I watch them and I, I just see uh, it's like a – reignition of total football every player is comfortable anywhere on the pitch it seems uh take take our alfonso davies for example he'll play left back left wing central midfield (laughs) we even see him take up center forward positions at times all in the same match uh it's it's really remarkable to watch how they can dominate in so many ways yeah and you know i think it just kind of continues something that you know a lot of observers remarked about dan even before the pandemic hit It, it it seems as if right now, at least, Germany is kind of the it's the cradle of a lot of imaginative coaching. It's the cradle of a lot of imaginative young coaching. You know, and I think it, a lot of people are going to go back and, and say that Jurgen Klopp and, and Pep Guardiola laid, you know, sort of laid the foundations. Guardiola obviously isn't a German manager, but he managed at Bayern. And it's pretty clear that that sort of he and Klopp together have really infused German soccer with some, with some really noteworthy ideas. It, it's Germany's always been a high scoring league, but it seems to me this year that we're seeing more goals from different places than we have in the past. Mm-hmm. We're seeing more goals from, places we normally don't associate with being goal scoring areas than we have in the past. And a lot of that, I think you're right, comes from the fact that there's a real emphasis on, on pressing on high intensity soccer. And the athletes are so good right now that you can get away with that. And, you know, yeah, Alfonso, Alfonso Davies is the one that stands out especially, but Danny, you look at almost every team in Germany with the exception of the cellar dwellers for the most part, Almost every team in the league has that young, exciting player capable of, of, of playing at both ends of the pitch. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's – we are going to see in the next five years, I think we're going to see a lot of German coaches end up in the Prem or end up in other leagues uh, besides the Bundesliga because it just seems to be the league right now that has it together when it comes to experimenting and, and, and being a little revolutionary. Yeah, and they seem to develop talent um, within this league, um, whether it be foreign or their own talent, uh, uh, better than anywhere else on, on the planet right now. And they give those opportunities to young players, and uh, that's that's been really a staple of the Bundesliga for a number of years, and it's really taken hold, as you mentioned. Um, I, I love the mobile center backs idea, too, with uh, mm-hmm. Alaba and, and Hernandez, both guys who would normally ply their trade as – as fullbacks, but uh, their mobility, uh, you'd see them bomb up the pitch at times. They can play a diagonal ball. It's like uh, as good as anyone else on the pitch. It's, I mean, it can be poetry in motion at times, but, uh, you know, there's going to be an interesting couple of tests here. Leverkusen and Gladbach are coming up uh, on the schedule for, for Bayern. And um, not, not that I expect any uh, losses here for Bayern Munich, but, 
You know, if you, you look at the match against Dortmund and just what a breakneck pace it was played at, I, I would expect no different in, in the upcoming matches against Leverkusen and, and Gladbach. And that'll be a good test for those two teams as well as they try to lock down uh, some top four places. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing to seeing Bayern against München Gladbach. I mean, if, if if Bayern's going to stumble, and that's two weeks down the road, if, if if they're going to stumble, that might be might be the match. I mean, we talk about German managers. The job that Marco uh, Rosa has done at uh, at at München Gladbach is amazing. And uh, we'll see that in a couple of weeks. Uh, Leverkusen uh, coming up for Bayern. Next week, they were winners again. Kai Havertz scoring another goal. Bayern's about to get their eighth straight Bundesliga title. Is <laughs> is there is there an argument to be made that this is this is a bad thing, or you know, it, does it does it help the league in the sense that teams like Dortmund and Leipzig and Gladbach and Leverkusen, who are in that tier below, does it give them something to strive towards? Uh, does it set a higher bar? Does it set a higher standard uh, for the league in general? You know, I'm not. This is going to sound odd. I'm not a huge fan of parity. Baseball was baseball was its best when the New York Yankees were winning World Series all the time, and everybody hated the Yankees. And I, so I think there's a. You, you can make the point that's kind of where we are in the Bundesliga right now. The only thing that I would like to see and and I don't know if this is going to happen. It would be nice to see somebody else finish second, third, fourth, or fifth, and maybe get get a mid-table team come up and really surprise a little more than we do. Uh, look, you're not Bayern's the best team in the Bundesliga. They're the most well-financed team in the Bundesliga. They're one of the best clubs in the world. That's not going to change. But I think if you can create some chaos below Bayern. And maybe have, you know, once every eight years or so, somebody like Leipzig step up and win. That is enough. But I don't, I don't see German, you look at the attendance at German games, and it doesn't appear as if they're particularly concerned about having Bayern dominate. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, Dortmund is, is a good example of how a team can, can strive to, to get close to that level, even if they're not willing to spend that kind of money. You get creative and try to find a way uh, to make it work. And they came awfully close this year before, uh, you know, this, this kind of fell apart for them in that match uh, on Tuesday where they lost. Uh, but, uh, the, you know, I, I think about it from, from the Italian league perspective and me being a Juventus fan, this is uh, likely to be their ninth straight title, even though it's not in the bag when Serie A does return. Lazio, your Lazio, just a couple of points back. Uh, but, Lazio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's just... You know, you you look at the it, Milan and, and Inter could could have the money to spend to keep up with with Juventus, and they have at times at least tried to, but they they just don't run themselves well enough. So uh, I think it comes down to a question of you know you're setting a higher bar, you're setting a high standard, and in the end, that's probably a good thing uh, for the for each of these leagues in the overall. Uh, Schalke lost a fourth straight um, mm. and. They're now winless in 11 matches going back before the pause. Overall, outscored 25-4 to in those matches. There was uh, a lot of praise for their manager, David uh, Wagner, or a lot of uh, hope, I guess, coming for him uh, when he took that job coming from Huddersfield. Um, it's really not so much there anymore to the point where he may not last more than a season with Schalke. Yeah, Schalke's been massively disappointing to me. Uh, you know, my goodness, you, you look at you compare how they have come out of the gate in this in in the restart compare them to a team like Werder Bremen which was a week shy of training because of the fact that that region was hit particularly hard uh, by covid-19 watching those two clubs since the return has it's it's been staggering i mean bremen is you know every, doing everything full tilt i mean they're throwing themselves into challenges Schalke came back and even against Dortmund, they, they just they didn't look as if they were up for the battle. They didn't look in shape. I got the sense they were playing from the back heel right from the get go. And I just boy, I think uh, I think David Wagner has been exposed a little bit, not just in his time in the Prem, but in the Bundesliga as well. 
Yeah, and uh, he came with a, a lot of praise. You know, he worked with uh, Jurgen Klopp at, at Dortmund and uh, tried to go on his own path, did well with Huddersfield. Uh, but it's not been a good couple of years for him and certainly not a good time right now for Schalke. And it, it does make me wonder, with the other leagues coming back, especially the Premier League, where the title is is well and done, you know, Liverpool's coming back really just to say that they, they finished out the season and, and were able to close it out. Um, but, you know, Schalke's in that kind of murky middle spot where they're not playing for much. They've now fallen out of a European place. It's it's You get to the point where... You know, what are we playing for? And, and I mm. guess you have this, this kind of conversation almost every year where uh, there is always a couple of teams that are in the mid-table that just seem to have their flip-flops on and ready for vacation. Yeah, and that's kind of everybody's worst fear in this scenario, isn't it? That you get a whole bunch of teams that aren't playing for anything and you have what amounts to a bunch of dead rubbers on the schedule. That's, you know, that's why I'm really looking forward to the return of Serie A and the return of La Liga as well, because you've got you know, two teams at the top that don't like each other. You've got two teams at the top in both league in both leagues that are healthy. Aiden Hazard, for example, is going to be ready to go for Real Madrid when La Liga starts up again. Um, I, I, it, it's it's important, I think, that it stays tight at the top so that we can focus on that as opposed to some of the other stuff that's going on. Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair. Uh, we will now welcome in our first guest uh, on the show as you see him on ESPN FC quite often. He is uh, Gab Marcotti. Thanks for doing this, Gab. How are you? Great to be with you guys. Uh, great to have you on uh, with us as well. It's been, um, I mean, it's been a crazy time, right? With with uh, COVID and, and now what's gone on this weekend uh, across the United States, and uh, we've seen uh, the football world uh, uh, try to stand with with George Floyd as well. But football has definitely had its its own battles with racism. Gab, um, it, it, this is this is definitely something that uh, I don't think is going to go away anytime soon. But you know, the football world has to has to manage this themselves, as we've seen over the past year. There's been a lot of of situations that this has been a problem. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's there's a lot to there's a lot to unpack here. I, I think in, in what you said, and you know, there's differences between, you know, overt racism um, and, and racist abuse as as we've seen in in football matches. Sometimes uh, politically motivated. Sometimes, you know, with uh, with with the lame and unacceptable excuse of, of it being a wind up. We're talking uh, there's talk of like structural racism um, in, in, in the game and in sports in general in terms of you know um, people of color not being afforded the same opportunities um, and of course you know there, there's the far more complex issue of of what happened to to, to, to George Floyd and, and, and the way um, the way race plays into that uh, what I found most remarkable about this weekend and in, in the Bundesliga though was you know I, I do get a sense that you know, there are athletes who are willing to use, willing and able to use their platform to, to highlight uh, certain issues. And, and I, I wonder if it's almost like a generational thing, you know, because if you look at the guys involved, Marcus Turam, who, who of course knelt Colin Kaepernick style, is 22 years old. Um, Hakimi uh, is at Borussia Dortmund, is 21. Jaden Sancho is 20. Uh, Weston McKenney himself is just 21 years old. So, I, I wonder if you know we aren't seeing a situation where maybe this generation of players, perhaps more so than than the one that came before them, is is more willing to to sort of very overtly um, come out and uh, and use the, the the platform, use the visibility that they have. And Gab, I think a lot of the reason for that as well is is social media. I mean, we hold up social media as is sort of being the driving force and everything. But I just think there's a greater awareness of what your peers are doing now than in the past. And and I, I think players, I, I don't know how you see it, but I think players have the sense now that, you know what, I'm really not out there by myself. You know, Lewis Hamilton is talking about this. NBA players are talking about this. I have a voice and I can use it. And I know I'm not going to stand alone because all I have to do is go on Twitter. No, and I mean, I think, to some degree, um, you know, I, I, as you know, uh, football has uh, a rule 
about not mixing politics and, and messaging um, with sports. And you know, you're not allowed to make certain uh, certain gestures or display certain symbols that, that have um, that have a political meaning. Um, personally, I think that's an excellent rule, and that's an ordinary rule. Oh, sorry, that's that's a necessary rule. Um, but equally, I don't think this messaging falls into that category um, because this messaging is is justice for George Floyd, right? Um, they're asking for justice. Justice is a universal value, and you know one of the things that that came out in the immediate aftermath among the people asking for justice for for, for George Floyd um, was pretty much everybody. Um, from the President of the United States to law enforcement officials. I don't think asking for justice per se is a divisive issue. I think it's, it's an issue that, that needs to be uh, highlighted. Um, it's a little bit like, I mean, I made this analogy in, in, in a piece I wrote, but um, you know, if, if somebody were to come out, and, and, and we see this sometimes at, at football matches, right, where you know, they come out and they wear those no to, say no to racism t-shirts or um, you know, t-shirts uh, talking about gender equality. You know, 70, 80 years ago, or, or in the case of gender equality, maybe 70 years ago, that might have been a political issue. That might have been divisive. There might have been people out there in the mainstream who disagreed with the idea that, you know, women should be allowed to vote, for example. Um, in the same way that, you know, saying no to racism, um, there might have been people in the mainstream who, you know, not that long ago, might have said, wait, what's wrong with racism? I mean, it feels stupid even saying it, but, you know, these people existed and were on mainstream platforms, you know, expressing these ideas not that long ago. So within that context, it might have been a political issue. But right now, you know, refuting racism, um, when, you know, even FIFA and UEFA and the Premier League have campaigns against racism, um, asking for justice um, you know, not 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 punishment. They're just asking for justice, right? That that, that the individual who, of course, has been uh, charged, um, that that he be judged. Um, that is such a mainstream uh, message. You know, that that is a universal human value, in in my opinion. That I think it would be absolutely wrong for um, for the Bundesliga to take action against them for for displaying these messages. Um, because, you know, it is, it is something that, you know, we all strive for, that it is part of our messaging, uh, whether we achieve it or not, or whether it's hot air or not, um, is a different issue. But, um, and, and, and so, you know, I, I, I can only commend what, the, what these people have done, and, and I, I'd be frankly shocked and, and disappointed if any action were, were taken against them. Gab Marcotti, our guest, and uh, it, it was uh, another weekend in, in the Bundesliga where we've seen Bayern Munich continue its its dominance. Um, and first off, how have how have you seen the return of football and, and just the, the, the quality and, and what we're seeing on the field in the Bundesliga? Well, obviously, like many sports fans, I was just excited to see, you know, real live competition. Um, and the Bundesliga, I think, is you know is far and away the highest quality and highest profile uh, league among those that that have returned. So I was excited to see it. I think it takes some getting used to there not being any fans in the stadium. Um, but I mean, you know, it's not as if this is something we've never seen before in in in, in, in soccer. You know, we we've seen it. Um, we saw it a little bit in in Serie A at the start of the crisis in some Champions League games. Um, we've seen it before when, when teams have been punished and been forced to play behind closed doors. You know, it takes some getting used to, but I don't think the intensity on the pitch has waned uh, at all. Uh, we've seen a few more muscular injuries, but I think this is probably a function of, um, of the long layoff as much as anything else. Uh, we've seen what appears to be less of a home advantage, although... And, you know, it's easy to attribute that to there not being fans in the crowd and maybe not influencing referees or whatnot. Maybe there's something to that. I'd want to see a larger sample size before I start drawing conclusion on that. Um, but by and large, I think I think it's been great. I mean, you know, you get used to this pretty quickly. And, you know, if you're watching it, you're just focused on the game and you're paying more attention to the game. Gab, I'm wondering, you, you look at the leagues that have started up 
you look at the leagues that have given dates to start up, uh, La Liga, Serie A, of course, the Bundesliga we've talked about. It seems as if they have been able to pretty much follow follow course. There doesn't seem to have been too much in the way of it, you know, a- any wrinkles. Then you look at the Premier League. We, we should know more information this week. But my goodness, there seem to be so many competing ideas and so many competing notions in the Premier League compared to every other European league. Why is that? Yeah, so in terms of the journey back, there is a striking difference. I, I would include Serie A in this. Serie A has been pretty messy as well, um, although perhaps not as much as the Premier League. Uh, but what you saw in Spain and in Germany is you saw very, very strong, very visible leadership from the league uh, really from day one. Um, Christian Seifer in Germany uh, and, uh, and Javier Tebas in, uh, in, in Spain. You know, they were very visible. They held press conferences. They answered questions. They said, this is what we're going to do. These are the targets we have to hit. These are the government people we're talking to. Um, in the Premier League, that hasn't happened. Now, partly it's because the Premier League is set up a little bit differently. It's, it's you know, the guy who runs the Premier League now, Richard Masters, He's not a commissioner, you know. The Premier League is a service organization. It serves uh, its member, its member clubs. It has certain very specific, um, uh, certain specific tasks uh, that it needs to fulfill, and you know, a lot, many more of the decisions are sort of made uh, collectively. And you know, when you've got a couple dissenting voices, then that falls apart pretty quickly. I think another really big factor, and you know, and I say this as somebody who, who lives in England, uh, obviously the relative to, to Spain and Italy, uh, England was hit later um, by the coronavirus, uh, but it was also hit far worse. Um, you know, they have the highest number of deaths in the world after the United States. Um, they have, uh, the, I think, they have the among European countries. I think they have the, the third highest. Uh, deaths per million, uh, and they're closing in on Spain very, very quickly. Um, they've had all sorts of difficulties. There was a lack of trust, I think, in the medical authorities. At the beginning, they said, oh, well, you know, they, 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 they changed their strategy at the beginning. Initially, it was going to be this herd immunity stuff, and then they went in a different direction. So I think fundamentally, um, and, oh, and I should also say, uh, and I think this is important, um, there's a much higher proportion of foreign players and foreign managers and foreign owners in the Premier League. You know, people who are, are more prone to saying, well, hang on a minute, in my country we did it like this. Why are you doing it like this? And to go and question authority, I think, relative to, to what we've seen in, in Germany, Spain, and Italy. So I think all these factors coming together have meant that it's been, it, it's been a slower process um, and a process, I think, that was fraught with more uncertainty although you know now knock on wood and you know you don't want to take anything for granted there's still some issues they still have to have a vote um uh, and they still have to prove the medical protocol they still have an issue with uh, games and neutral grounds to to resolve but um it does feel as if now finally um they are you know they are going to get started again does does it feel like it's it's been rushed uh, like Almost as if the Bundesliga showed, hey, this can be done, so so we got to get back to going too. I mean, it's a difficult question to answer, and, and I'm not, yeah. I know I'm not an epidemiologist, right? But you know, I do read the newspapers, and the fact of the matter is, Germany is a wealthier country with a much better health system in, in terms of public health uh, than the United Kingdom. I mean, it's just a fact. They were better prepared. They were hit less hard when they were hit. They could deal with it a lot better, you know, and deal with it a lot better than, than Italy and Spain as well. Italy and Spain had the edge, if you will, of being hit first. But, you know, I was just looking at yesterday's number, and, you know, there were something like 400 new cases in, in, in all of Italy, and it was something like 0.5% of, uh, of the people tested. And the tests were, were I think, close to 80,000, and at the, they're at the stage where, you know, they're no longer testing frontline workers and people who are sick, but they're sampling the general population. You know, here in England, there were a couple thousand cases, so five times as many. Um, it's tough to get a handle on how many people are actually being tested because they have this incredibly, uh, um, to me at least, odd way of, 
you know, they count test capacity and they mix in the antigen tests with the COVID-19 test. So, I mean, it's really difficult, I think, for the rank and file to figure out any kind of numbers. So they're just in a different place, you know, which, which also explains why they're, why they're starting, up, uh, starting up later. But, I mean, I think in terms of competing with Germany, and, and it, look, I mean, you guys are in Canada. You guys know this, right? It matters to have money. It matters to have a national, um, uh, or it certainly helps if you have a strong public health system. Um, you know, leaving aside the politicians of whatever stripe they are, you know, having resources and having a public health system that works uh, gives you a tremendous edge over 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 people who don't or who have one where, where maybe it doesn't work as well or, or where where people maybe make the, the wrong decisions early in the pandemic and you know and inevitably that's going to go and, and, and impact sports. Gab, yeah, when the uh, when the other leagues do start up, uh, Juve is got a point lead in Lazio and and Barca's two up in Real. Which of those two teams? Which which of those two teams has what you would describe as a more tenuous hold on atop their their league? I I'm gonna preface this with a million caveats, which is that we really have no idea mm-hmm. what it's going to look like. We have no idea what you know this three month nearly uh, layoff, how it's going to impact teams. We don't know how playing behind closed ground, uh, closed doors is going to impact teams. We don't know how teams are going to be impacted by the fact that they're going to, you know, have to play this crazy breakneck uh, schedule where, where they'll effectively be playing every three or four days. Uh, and we don't know how they're going to be impacted by, by playing in the summer. And it gets very hot in Spain and Italy, even at night uh, in the summer. So all those caveats out of the de- out of the way, I would argue that probably Barcelona's hold is more tenuous than Real Madrid's. Um, I think... Real Madrid are a more settled club. Barcelona have had a number of, of, of issues off, uh, off the pitch uh, affecting them. There's elections coming up a year from now. Um, you know, with Real Madrid, things seem to be a lot calmer, a lot more under control. Um, they've got a bunch of injured guys who, you know, who are coming back, uh, which is going to help them. Um, so I would lean towards Real Madrid. Um, in Serie A, you know, it's hard to look past Juventus because obviously they've won it eight times in a row already. Uh, they're, a, um, they're, they're certainly a deeper team um, and they have more options. So on the surface, they seem better equipped. But you know what? All season long, people have been expecting Lazio to, to fall away, to regress to the mean, and it just hasn't happened. They're still there. So I'm certainly not going to go and bet against them. We we saw the news over the weekend that Mauro Icardi is going to uh, make his move to PSG official. Now that was a you know uh, a transfer fee that was agreed to uh, last summer, I guess. But um, uh, when the loan deal was struck, but just the impact uh, of the game and, and what we expect to see uh, through through the transfer season. I mean, it's it's very uncertain. It it has to be right now, right? Yeah. So actually, the. The transfer fee wasn't agreed last summer. Um, oh, okay. In fact, uh, Paris Saint Germain got a Paris Saint Germain had an option to buy at seventy million euros, but as expected, they went back and they negotiated down to fifty million plus up to seven or eight million euros in uh, in in bonuses and add-ons, you know, related to performance. and And I think that's pretty indicative, right? Because a lot of teams have been hit in terms of of liquidity. Um, and there's a lot of uncertainty. So I think everybody's going to be, you know, asking for a discount um, when when players come on the market. Um, and, you know, that's what Paris Saint-Germain did. That's what I, I would assume Bayern Munich will do with, with Ivan Perisic, who's also uh, on loan from Inter. They have an option to buy at 20 million, but wouldn't be surprised if they say, hey, how about we give you 10 or 12 or 15? Um, because that's just the way the the market is going i think what we're also going to see um and i think it's just as important as, as teams you know having taken this hit not having this liquidity um is the fact that if you're if you have a superstar if you have a guy who pre-pandemic you were thinking as like sort of a 100 million type player whether it's it's paul pogba or kai havertz or Jaden sancho or any one of these guys um you're going to tell yourself well wait a minute I don't want to sell this guy now because there's so much uncertainty. 
um, uh, and because teams are, are going to be conservative. And it creates a bit of a vicious cycle, right? A lack of investment means no trickle down, means no knock on effect. And I wouldn't be surprised if these guys say, look, you know, his price hasn't changed. If you don't, you know, if you're not willing to put up the cash, let's go and talk about this a year from now when, uh, uh, when maybe things will be different. And, you know, what it means is I think a lot of these guys who, who we thought might move will end up staying put simply because, you know, gener coming up with, you know, 100 million, 150 million in cash is going to be rather tricky, even for the big clubs who've, who've you know, taken a, pretty sizable hit in revenue, 15 to 20% uh, at, the, at the very least. Plus, of course, a further hit in revenue in September because when football does return for next season, you know, most likely there will be uh, restrictions and social distancing and, you know, your box office receipts aren't going to be the same. Gab, yeah, do you think it's possible we'll see more deals where players change hands, almost like a trade with you know, make weights, I guess, if you want to call it that? Uh, that's certainly been mooted. It's something both Barcelona and Juventus have, have talked about. Um, the problem with with trades is that they're often well. So trades are very uh, trades are very attractive to clubs, um, and without wanting to bore everybody with accounting practices, the great thing about a trade uh, and accounting practices is that when you trade a player, you can effectively put whatever value you want on him. And because, uh, you know, you book revenue straight away, uh, but you, um, you, you, you spread costs over the life of the contract, you know, if I were to trade, um, you know, uh, Bob for Dave, um, I could say, all right, I'm going to spend 20 million on Dave, give him a five-year contract, and that's costing me 4 million this year, and then you're going to give me 20 million for Bob, um, and so at Presto, I've made 60 million in paper profit out of thin air, right? Um, and uh, that's what makes trades very effective, very appealing, especially to certain clubs, especially in certain countries. Now, the flip side of that is that to make this work, you have to find players of comparable wages or packages of comparable, comparable wages. And that's one of the difficulties uh, that we're seeing. You know, the... The 10 or 12 big clubs, I'm sure you've seen a lot of talk about, you know, um, about uh, Barcelona offering a whole bunch of players as makeweights and deals for Lautaro Martinez or for, or for Neymar or whatever. The problem is all these dudes make so much money that, you know, there's very few teams that can afford to, to take the makeweights. Um, mm -hmm. The numbers simply don't add up. Uh, and that's what makes these trades more difficult. But, I mean, to answer your question... Yeah, I think we'll see a little bit because people still need players and, uh, you know, to fill certain roles. But I don't think all of a sudden, um, and, and we'll see a little bit because people love that little accounting sleight of hand. Um, but I think in the long run, um, I, I think it's just going to be a temporary thing. I, I, don't, I don't think trades are here to stay, you know, not as long as players have guaranteed contracts. You wrote about uh, at ESPN um, the potential of, of salary caps coming to, to world football. Uh, and, and listed out a, a bunch of reasons why it may not work. But does the game need to protect itself in future from circumstances like this one? I mean, we're, we're seeing the, the numbers being thrown out of the losses that are coming. Um, is, is there a way that clubs can protect themselves in, in future? So a lot of, well, first of all, a lot of those losses, I always encourage a, a healthy skepticism from people. Um, Fair enough, you know, they yeah. were all based <laughs> on the fact that, yeah, they were based on the fact that, you know, football wasn't going to come back this year and that TV companies weren't going to pay a single penny. And so that's why people were, you know, shouting, oh, Premier League's going to lose $1.3 Well, that was always the worst case scenario, right? Um, <coughs> the difficulty with, with the salary cap is that, I mean, there's a whole range as I, as I outlined there, right? Salary caps work in U.S. sports because by and large, revenue is divided equally. So salary caps in U.S. sports have the function of generating parity um, as well as, uh, you know, making sure that, um, you know, unless you're a complete idiot, it's basically impossible for you as an owner to lose money, right? Because you have a limit. You, you know at the start of the year how much revenue you're going to make, right? Projected revenue because so much of it um, gets, uh, gets divided equally. I'm thinking of the NFL in particular. So... 
you know, you know what your costs are going to be, and boom, you negotiate a salary cap with the union, and it's 48% or, or whatever it is uh, of revenue, and you're golden. Well, that works if you don't have promotion relegation. That works if you're not sharing uh, revenue. That works if you're sharing revenue. Now, in football, you know, you go ask Manchester United or Real Madrid or Juventus to go and share revenue, and they won't be happy. So that's one main reason why you can't have it. Um, you're not going to have it as far as promotion and relegation is concerned either because that obviously complicates things because, you know, you'll have teams being promoted who, you know, or, or teams being relegated who all of a sudden, you know, have all these players on top flight wages and then what do you do then? And then you're going to salary cap them in the second division? How's that going to work? So there's a whole number of issues there. Um, but I think, you know, there are more problems with it, um, including the fact that, you know, let's face it, um, European football in particular is almost wholly unregulated uh, when it comes to oversight. So I, putting caps on salaries simply invites either people to go to leagues outside um, or, you know, beyond the, the salary cap leagues where, where the players can make more money. Or more simply, you know, to pay players under the table, play, pay them via offshore locations, which used to happen a lot in the past. Now it's been cracked down a little bit. But, I mean, simple truth of, of the matter, except for the U.S. Department of Justice, <laughs> nobody really has uh, the clout to go to some of these offshore jurisdictions and say, hey, uh, did you pay so-and-so under the table? It's just not going to happen. Um, the, other, the other way to help preserve stability is to is to basically have a salary cap where you say you can only spend x amount of your revenue uh x percent of your revenue um, on wages um the problem with that is first of all um or in addition to the problems I already cited but one of the problems with that is that um a club's costs aren't just going to be wages they're going to be player acquisition costs when they go and buy players they're going to be commissions paid to agents um so you could create an imbalance there. But, but the broader issue is, you know, if I'm Manchester United and my revenue is, you know, 10 times that of Burnley, well, then if we have the same percent salary cap, I'll still be able to spend 10 times as much as Burnley. So that's not going to work. Um, there are other mechanisms, and I mentioned them in there, to, to promote stability and, and, and better oversight. And I think if something good does come out of this pandemic, hopefully they'll be bringing some of them in. Gab, we uh, we appreciate the time, but uh, before we let you go, um, uh, is the is the hype around Alfonso Davies for real? Because here in Canada, we you know, I was saying his ceiling is is you know potentially uh, fighting for a Ballon d'Or, uh, but uh, do, do you see that same type of potential in in our in our uh, favorite Canadian right now? Well, it's funny because you know I think it took him it took him some time to to adjust uh, to to the Bundesliga. Obviously, part of it. Um, was simply the fact that you know he still he was still very young and he went to a very top team. Part of it was also no disrespect, probably the fact that you know he was no longer playing against MLS defenders. Um, but I think what we've seen, especially since moving to left back, where he's got more time to to run and get up to full speed. I mean that that's really exciting. Um, you saw him in the Dortmund game. Some of those recoveries on an Erling Holland, who is by no means slow, um, were just breathtaking. Um, I think on the ball, um, he still has room to improve, um, but he's already, you know, frightfully, frightfully uh, effective. I'm just curious to see, you know, whether whether he's going to grow, maybe he's going to go back to playing, you know, as a winger, as a more attacking player, or whether um, or whether his future really is uh, a left back, because obviously fullback is well, it's a position that has. Um, that has, has grown in importance um, in recent years, you know, it's not really a position um, that it's not really where the glory and the big money is, right? And he certainly has the ability to play further forward. Uh, it would be weird to me if, I mean, I don't know, you guys can tell me, but if he finds himself playing left back week in, week out for Bayern and then, you know, playing uh, uh, as a winger or, as a, or even as a forward for Canada. Yeah, I think he'll uh, he'll be used all over the pitch for Canada. Whatever they can get uh, <laughs> the most use out of him is is how John Herdman told us uh, last week is is his plan. Uh, Gab, we really appreciate this today. Uh, all the best. Uh, stay safe, and uh, we'll be talking again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Gab. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me on.
There is Gab Marcotti of ESPN joining us here on uh, A Kick in the Grass. Coming up, he's uh, played internationally for Canada. You may have seen him with the Vancouver Whitecaps. Now he's plying his trade in Germany and is getting ready for the semifinals of the German Cup. Kians Froze will join us next here on A Kick in the Grass across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to a kick in the grass across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now joining us, he is uh, with FC Saarbrücken in Germany, and he has uh, been on that Cinderella run to the semifinals of the Pokal. He is Kians Froze. Thanks for doing this, Kians. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> uh, we're we're great, man. Thank you. Thank you for making the time today. Um, how, how have you been? How? Uh, How's, how's life been for you uh, living in Germany for the last uh, few months during the pandemic? Yeah, you know, obviously with, with the virus, it's been a bit different uh, than what, I was, what I've been used to. But uh, it's given a lot of time to reflect and reflect on life and, and your current situation and kind of like the journey that we've been on here and my own personal journey too. I think that's kind of been what we've all been up to. <laughs> And um, especially trying to, to to stay away and trying not to get sick. So yeah, it was, it was kind of. And then now we're getting back in shape and and playing and training. So it's nice to be back too. So yeah. Now, Kians, there was a lot of concern about sports coming back from the pandemic, and a lot of people look towards the Bundesliga to provide a path forward, both in terms of health protocol, and I guess more importantly, how it would actually look on the field. What have you seen from the Bundesliga so far that has surprised you? Uh, you know, are, it, it seems to be a pretty smooth return. Is it something that gives you a lot of confidence? Were you skeptical going into this as to whether or not the Bundesliga would be able to make a successful return? Yeah, um, I think it's it's hard to say. You know, I think um, we're we're operating in uncharted territories in terms of the pandemic. I don't think the world could have prepared for for something like that. And in terms of sport resuming and everything, I think from top down, it was a week to week thing, seeing how small details affected the overall outcome of of the end goal, which was to resume playing. I think they've they've done a good job, um, obviously. And now now we're back at it. So I think the guys in charge have, have done a good job. And yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch. You've you've got to be the second most popular Canadian uh, in, in Germany right now. Uh, Alfonso <laughs> Davies has, has been doing some pretty incredible stuff. Um, but I mean, this is this has been a crazy year for you, right? I mean, you've had tennis. Uh, you're 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 on this this run here with uh, this unexpected run in, in the in the Pokal, and you've also gained promotion uh, through to the next tier of of German football with with Saarbrück and um, just. You know, uh, how has this been for you? Um, and and is this the the best football you've been playing? Yeah, I think. Um, well, this year's. I don't think we were like as a team really expecting such a deep run. I think uh, we talked about this before um, at the start of the year, where when we were together running, actually a few days ago, um, we said, you know, if you would have said at the start of the year that we would be so far in the Pokal, we would have laughed, you know. <laughs> so to us it's kind of surreal um and it, and it's been a really nice year I would say I mean we we set out every goal you know every game to kind of win it to, to achieve promotion and um to be able to to have success as well in the Pokal too is kind of like a bonus and um yeah being part of history of the club now getting back to to third league and then hopefully in the future back to second league climbing climbing the ladder again is it's a nice thing, you know, it's it's a second time I've promoted now being here in Germany. So, you know, it's something it's a big event that it's really nice to be a part of. And, and you feel really special when you do achieve it because it's it doesn't happen every day, you know. Yeah. And, and it, it was uh, it must have been a, a little bit of a revenge game for you against Dusseldorf, uh, I guess, to, to get that win must have felt pretty good. Your former club. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I hadn't slept for for three days, and I really wanted to play in that game. And you know, I I was I was ready to go. Obviously, I didn't start the game, but but I came in. I don't know with ten minutes, and and that was really nice to to be able to 
to play against them and and also get an assist against them too you know is i i think the evening was kind of surreal and <laughs> if 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 i were to say yeah tell us a little bit about about the club um i know that it was i believe it was last it was well it was certainly a member of the inaugural bundesliga uh season i think it was in the bundesliga in 93 94 Clearly, you're you're working your way in the right direction. But tell us a little bit about the club and what life is like in that in that tier of German soccer. Yeah, um, life is kind of is it's normal. You know, it doesn't really differentiate from from first league and fourth league um, kind of thing. Like you go to training, you play. Um, in terms of the city, I mean, the fans are there's there's a big following in terms of the team so we're like you get 6,000 7,000 and then we're gonna get a new stadium next season so then we should be 15 20 maybe 25 30 some games so um we're followed you know and that just goes to show like across the board how followed German soccer is um from fourth fifth league teams you know there's fifth league teams getting 100 people out to games and then there's fourth league teams getting six, seven, eight, ten thousand people depending on some games. So um we're we're followed and you know the day to day is just normal. You know, you play soccer, it's the same as, as the first Bundesliga club. When I was at Fortuna, we do the same thing, similar things, you know, we run just about as much. Maybe the quality of the players is a little bit different because they're first league, but in terms of first to second and third and, and fourth league, it's it's basically pro. Um, well, it is pro, and then that's that's all we do, you know. You've got uh, Bayer Leverkusen in the semifinal. Um, we see uh, Kai Havertz scoring on the, on the regular. Uh, they've they've been playing pretty well coming back. Um, it's it's going to be tough for for you guys to 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 just come into this cold because you haven't been you haven't had any real matches going into this. Yeah, um, yeah. Even with matches, it would have been tough. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I don't I don't think it's gonna get any easier any harder I think um the task at hand's a big task and and it's a big ask from from all the players but I mean nobody expected us to be Dusseldorf and nobody expected us to be Cologne and nobody expected anything really from us in the Pokal what coming into this you know and then we're three four games after uh later and then we're in the semifinals you know so then when you when you look back at it you know you can kind of see that anything is possible and it's a team thing so if, if we're able to stick together execute the game plan that, that we that the coach will put together for the game then then I think that'll give us the best chance of, of success how uh just how has this journey been since since you left uh, Canada um, and and you left Vancouver uh, for for Germany over these last couple of years how how has it been for you yeah, I think uh, when I first got to Germany, it was so hard. Um, you know, I was depressed. Um, I didn't know the language. I didn't understand the way they played. Um, a lot of things were really different. Um, I I left the MLS kind of thing to to come and play for, for the second team of Fortuna Dusseldorf after trialing at many different clubs and, and bouncing around a bit, just, just trying to get my chance in, in Europe. Um, the start was hard as soon as um Dusseldorf took me. You know, I had to adapt, I had to learn, um, I had to integrate, learn the cultural differences, what the people were like. Um, and then you're alone, you know, um, finding like apartments, all these small things actually like affect you. So I think the start was tough, but after a few months, you slowly start getting more and more integrated and starting to learn the people and learn what the cultural side of things. And then that affects how you play and then you're also able to learn the the sport side of of everything and um yeah you slowly build and and grow in in every aspect of life i think it's uh it is great to see your uh your your progression since since leaving the vancouver whitecaps and it's good to see that you're having success um and and off the field you're you're doing some interesting things as well um you know you're you're native cuba as well um you're, you're doing some coffee uh things down there I, yeah. I i understand you got a restaurant in toronto i mean uh, you've you've certainly um kept things on the go off the pitch as well yeah i think it's important um to try and uh make a life for yourself after sport i mean sport yeah you're, you're only gonna play for 10 of uh, maybe 15 years if you're lucky professionally and then after you know you, you don't know what you're gonna end up doing 
some guys have made enough money in the game to to not um to not really have to work but i i believe i and i enjoy it you know just just trying to build models and build businesses and stuff like that too on the side sometimes but with with entangled with my sport and i do have support to do that so it's it's really nice uh, to be able to be a part of all these different different projects and hopefully they grow together with my sporting career <laughs> yeah it's uh it's been fun to watch uh, best of luck uh, coming up in the the semifinal of the uh of the pokal uh you can follow kian's phrase uh, froze uh on uh, instagram by his name and on twitter as well uh by his name uh thanks for this kian's all the best moving forward uh stay safe stay healthy and uh good luck thank you uh fascinating story there with uh kian's froze uh, and uh, wishing him the best of luck uh, to continue uh, what has been just a very unpredictable run uh, in the German Cup for he and FC Saarbrücken. All right, coming up, the final segment of A Kick in the Grass. It's injury time across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Yes, the final segment uh, on A Kick in the Grass, as you know it now, injury time, uh, the stories we did not have enough time to get to uh, through the rest of the program. Uh, Jeff, MLS uh, could be heading towards a lockout. That can't be good. Uh, no, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least. I, I, would, I would suggest that it's one of the sports right now that could ill afford to not be playing in the summer. Um, if, if, if we get out of this and... and as other leagues attempt to get back, um, you know it's it, it it's it's odd because most of the health and safety protocol issues seem to have been worked out. This seems to simply have 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 come down to money, and I gotta think, you know, I, I've gotta think there are ways for the players in the league to make it work because, quite frankly, we're not talking about the same type of contractual structure. For example, we're talking about in baseball. We're not talking about guys making 20 million or 25 million i think they'll get it worked out i think cooler heads will prevail this is such listen this is such a great opportunity for mls because we're seeing in a lot of jurisdictions we're seeing governors allow outdoor sports to be played we're seeing it in texas we're led to believe it's going to happen in florida you won't be able to exact for example in texas to play to a full stadium but you will be able to have 25% of the stadium filled. I just think soccer and MLS is so well positioned to come out of this thing right now. They they can't screw this up. They just can't. Yeah, and uh, they're they're not that far apart. Uh, MLSPA is offered to accept a 7.5% pay cut uh, while the league's most recent offer came in at 8.75%. Uh, there is uh, many other issues, uh, but... Um, it's injury time, so we don't have time to get to those. But hopefully, cooler heads will prevail because, yes, I do think this is an opportunity uh, for MLS to showcase themselves a little bit should they be able to get back uh, first uh, before the other leagues as well. Uh, talked a little bit about this with Gab, but Icardi, Mauro Icardi to PSG is going to be a permanent move. 50-plus uh, million. Jeff, is this the biggest transfer of the summer? Well, I don't know. I, I thought Jaden Sancho might be, but I, I just, I, the Premier League is such a mess right now in terms of how it's coming back that I, I really need to see just how active Premier League teams are going to be in the window. It could, it could very well be. And you know what? This may be one of those things where you might as well strike early because the market's probably not going to improve. And I, I mean, I think it's a terrific move for them. I really do. Yeah. And uh, they'll just continue to, to dominate in Liga for a while yet, but maybe have more success in Champions League. Uh, Saul of Atleti, a very uh, cultured midfielder, uh, says he'll announce a new club in the coming days. Uh, he's been heavily linked to Manchester United. Is that the piece United has been missing, Jeff? Oh, God. No, <laughs> no you know, listen. <laughs> listen, before... before but if I'm Man United, before I figure out what I need to do this summer, before I think about what I want to do this summer, I have got to come to some sort of resolution of the Paul Pogba situation. I really do. If it's me, if I can't get value for Paul Pogba in the summer, I go with him next year. I love what Bruno Fernandes brings. If, if I'm going to attempt to address the issues around this team, I'm looking still at the back line, and I'll tell you what, I might also I might also want to start looking at my goalkeeper at some point as well. 
Uh, yeah, maybe the fax machine won't break down when they try to move <laughs> it to uh, Real Madrid again. <laughs> Man, that story's really old, but I st I'll never, I'll never get over it. Uh, all right, uh, final one. Uh, championship back on uh, June twentieth. Uh, we are finally going to get Leeds back in the top flight. Uh, oh yeah, something yeah. we've all been missing. <laughs> uh, and it looks like Premier League clubs fighting against relegation are going to lose that argument. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, I, I don't want that kind of precedent to be set, nor do I want more teams in the Premier League, Jeff. Yeah, I don't know how I don't know how I feel about this. I see I see both sides of the argument. What, what I'm more concerned about, frankly, is, uh, you know, is some of the stuff we're seeing in the champions or in the champion, the championship, I, I should say. Where it appears as if some teams may be heading to court uh, over how that season is going to play out and whether or not it'll play out. Um, but you know, I'd be with you at least out of the gate. I don't think I don't think you need to expand the number of teams in the Prem. Look, it's not as if I, I hate to say it, but it's not as if the clubs at the bottom of the Premier League right now haven't had their opportunities to get out of there. I mean, they've been flirting around the bottom for a while. I don't think it's necessary to turn the whole system upside down just to accommodate those three teams. I really don't. Uh, over five minutes of injury time, so uh, we've made more work for producer Cam today, but uh, there was just a lot to get to on uh, this edition of A Kick in the Grass. Uh, we will be back next week. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. He is at SN Jeff Blair. I am at DanRicho650. More football is returning as uh, the Premier League, La Liga, and Serie A all get set to return in the next few weeks. Hope you'll join us across the Sportsnet Radio Network to talk about it as it comes back. We appreciate you listening. It is Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair, Kicking the Grass on Sportsnet Radio Network.